This is a podcast from thebuglepodcast.com. The Bugle, audio newspaper for a visual world. Hello, Buglers, and welcome to issue 4028 of the Bugle audio newspaper for a visual world with me, Andy Zaltzman, live in London, city of roads and buildings, like most cities, and joining me from Mumbai, a city of even more roads and even more buildings and suburban trains that have more people in a single carriage than live in the whole of New Zealand, it is Anuvab Pal. Hello, Andy. Welcome back from Australia. Yeah, I'm back in the correct hemisphere. Um, I mean, you know, just just sheer numbers can't be wrong. Uh, I don't know how many more billion people live in the northern hemisphere, but we've got to surely take a clue from that. And all, as for all the land that has gravitated to north of the equator over time, well, there's got to be a reason for that. Watch and learn, Australia and New Zealand. Watch and learn. We're definitely in the better hemisphere, Andy. In fact, I sometimes wonder whether New Zealand wasn't Australia's Brexit, you know, whether it didn't break <laughs> off at some point in time in history and said, hell with it. It's already a shit hemisphere. I don't want to be with you. <laughs> well, I guess we'll just have to leave that to the geologists to uh, prove one way or the other. Uh, this is Bugle 4028. Coincidentally, the number at which, if you count to it from zero, your chances of winning a game of hide-and-seek as the seeker fall below 0.1%. This is also the Bugle for the week beginning Monday the 15th of May. On this day, in the year 908, the three-year-old Constantine Seventh, son of Emperor Leo VI the Wise, was crowned as co-emperor of the Byzantine Empire. And it just proves that if you're good enough, you're old enough. Uh, I mean, you've just... You've got to give the youngsters their chance at the top level of, uh, of running a Byzantine empire. By the standards of the modern world, though, Anuvab, I think a three-year-old emperor would actually be considered unusually grown up and emotionally advanced for a world leader by 2017 standards. Imperial, Andy, imperial. He would have gravitas, way more <laughs> gravitas than anyone leading the world currently, <laughs> right? And, and a three-year-old would not watch Fox News. A three-year-old <laughs> would watch all those baby shows that you have in your country, Andy, and would learn more about global <laughs> geopolitics, I think. Well, I think the average children's cartoon channel has a higher degree of journalistic integrity than some so-called <laughs> news channels. Anyway, we are recording on the 12th of May, Friday the 12th of May. Happy 197th birthday to the one, the only, Nefertiti of nursing, the Marilyn Monroe of medicine, the Aphrodite of aftercare, Florence Nightingale. Oh, yeah. <laughs> to mark this occasion... Oh, God. We are offering all Bugle listeners the chance to win a hot date with Florence herself, by which I mean you can take your own picnic and your smoothest chat-up lines to the church graveyard at East Wellow in Hampshire, where she's been buried for the last 106 years, and just, just see what happens. That's all I'm saying. See what happens. As always, a section of the Bugle is going straight in the bin... This week, the Eurovision Song Contest, which is taking place this weekend. Yes, it's that time of year when the universe's most pointless event comes round again, like a pig swimming upstream to mate with a filing cabinet. I just don't know why it happens. But anyway, the absolute cream of European music. It's amazing that this title has never been won in the past by the likes of the Rolling Stones, the Small Faces, Belgian song with Jacques Brel, the Berliner Symphonica Orchestra, Vladimir Vysotsky, the Russian Bob Dylan, 
or more simply Diob Dillion. Or indeed Elvis Presley, who of course competed for Portugal in 1983 in controversial and highly secretive circumstances. But we review some of the top songs from this year's Eurovision, including Italy's entry from the songstress Saltim Boccia Boccolonchincini, uh, Ding Dong Dolce Latte, a cheese-infused pop anthem to a lost youth, follow-up to last year's bronze medal-winning Tuo Prosciutto Mio Amore, Your Ham, My Love, a moving tale of blossoming romance at an undercated picnic. Uh, from the hosts, the Ukraine, Bogdania Klopkachenka is, uh, is singing the tunes for the home country with Crimea River, a political take on the classic post-Soviet Timberlake hit. Uh, Switzerland, the Canton Cantatas representing them, Usutruvla Tax, Patti C. Machery, that is officially sanctioned by the Swiss government in its efforts to spread the word about Switzerland's favourable tax ambivalent status for uh, external investors. And Britain, represented this year by Herbert the Codger, uh, novelty old man who won the popular votes um, in the competition to be Britain's representative with his controversial Alzheimer care home grunge pop hit, Where's Doris? Who's Doris? Brackets, are you sure I have a wife? There is, of course, uh, a new system of voting at Eurovision this year using special cameras in people's televisions, with the winner based on the highest percentage of viewers who end their song with a fixed, glazed look in their eyes, staring into the middle distance, thinking, is this truly what we have become? Uh, That Eurovision uh, section, in the bin. Top story this week, um, Donald Trump. Apparently, he's he's a president. He's the president of the United <laughs> States, which apparently is still a nation. And the head of the Internal Security Agency of the United States, the Federal Bureau of Investigation, uh, had some changes. And um, apparently, Andy, its leader, uh, James Comey, was fired. It appears, if you remember, Andy, that during the elections... Comey had come out and said he was investigating Hillary Clinton. It turns out that Trump came out and fired him. And indeed, it appears that while he was investigating Hillary Clinton, Trump was investigating him. (laughs) Eight months down the line, the result is a firing. A firing apparently by a letter handed over from Trump's bodyguard to the head of the Federal uh, Bureau of Investigation. That is old school. And I think this is a good thing, Andy. Yeah, it's old school. Like, if you are going to fire the head of the FBI, you better send your bodyguard because, <laughs> you know, everyone in the FBI is a bodyguard. So I think it's it's about speaking the right language. So I just wanted to know, Andy, you know, how do you how do you feel about about this? Does it have any personal impact on you? Were you indeed being investigated by the comedy division of the FBI? <laughs> I'm not sure entirely, although, you know, I have been secretly listening to many of Donald Trump's press conferences. Uh, I do freely admit that. Um, So maybe they should be investigating me. I mean, it is it's quite a complicated story and it's sort of like a box set TV series in which I've missed a few of the episodes because I've been busy and I now just cannot keep up with the plot. It seems almost too clever for its own good and all kinds of completely unfeasible nonsense seems to be going on. Now, on The Bugle, we have not covered this Trump-Russia story quite as exhaustively as we might. And uh, as a podcast of historical record, as we are, we do need now to rectify this oversight. So I'll just give you a quick background to the whole Trump-Russia story. It all began back in 1776 when America declared independence from Britain for reasons that still don't really stack up to this day. This set them on a path to becoming the world's most powerful nation. Eventually, the Russian monarchy was overthrown in 1917. Shortly afterwards, an insurgent movement known as Little Lenin and the Loony Lefties took power. In the aftermath 
After the second of these world wars saw Europe effectively karate chopped in two, like one of Bruce Lee's birthday cakes, with the Soviet Union taking control of the empire. A prolonged political standoff punctuated by occasional outbreaks of chess and Rocky IV. But after that, unfortunately, he was then replaced by Mr Putin, a black belt at megalomania and someone who apparently has a tattoo of Joseph Stalin looking admiringly at a parade of tanks on the inside of his eyelids to constantly remind him of his life's goals. American democracy entering its silliest ever phase, the Russians thought it might be a good time to dust off their old pantomime Cold War spy uniforms and get back down to business. So there you go, that brings us pretty much up to date. Sorry if that took a bit long. Rich, uh, rich editing uh, in the Chris chair this week. Just uh, maybe snip a few bits out. Uh, Trump has dismissed the probe into him as a charade. Uh, the acting FBI director, Andrew McCabe, who's replaced the fired Comey, uh, said it was a highly significant investigation. Uh, as always, one imagines the truth lies between the two, albeit as a Trump sceptic, I believe it lies about one millimetre away from Mr McCabe and around about 26,000 miles away from Mr Trump. <laughs> Andy, uh, one of the things, or one of the quotes that came from the administration was that James Comey had committed atrocities. <laughs> um, and what I wanted to know from you is, in the in the great line of global atrocities, you know, in the lineage of Pol Pot, Genghis Khan, uh, the great Mongol marauder, Hugalu, um, and Joseph Stalin, where would you put James Comey? Well, I mean, he's got to be right up there, surely. I mean, he didn't technically result in the uh, the unnecessary deaths of millions and millions of innocent people, but apart from that, it's right up there in terms of the greatest atrocities. Ever committed, uh, it's, uh, I mean, some would even say uh, it's an almost Bon Jovi level of atrocity. That is correct, Andy, that is correct. <laughs> and the administration has done a really good job of, of being transparent with the American public. And I want to know what you thought of this recent quote from uh, one of the spokespeople, because Sean Spicer, he's apparently gone missing. He's been hiding in a box. He hasn't come out. Um, <laughs> but his replacement said the other day, which I'm sure will go down as one of the great quotes of all time, up there with things George Washington has said and Adam Smith have said. Uh, she said, look, if a president fires someone, he fires someone. And I thought, <laughs> never in the great, you know, annals of human resources has there been a more logical statement. Andy, I just wanted to, your view on how the human resources side of this was carried out. Well, I mean, that's uh, there's always, you know, hidden human resources casualties in, in these things. I mean, I imagined, I mean, Trump, Presumably when he took office in January, just thought, now as president of America, there are effectively 350 million people he can sack. I think that's basically how he sees it, <laughs> as the boss of America. I mean, this is, I mean, he's already got through a few. But I imagine by, you know, by four years' time, he'll be just going around primary school saying, you, 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 you're fired. Um, this is, Andy, he, I think you've really figured out you know, what the Trump agenda is. I think you've really <laughs> finally figured it out. Thank you. For him, I think severance is not two months' salary, but literally severing you <laughs> in the way that a mad dictator would. Some other uh, notable words said Trump himself described Comey as being a showboater and a grandstander. <laughs> A showboater and a grand... From a man who is, to all intents and purposes, an overpriced luxury yacht on display in the seats above the halfway line in a large stadium. <laughs> Does that quite make sense? Who cares? The world doesn't make sense anymore, and I'm a product of my times. But coming from Trump, Anubab, surely being called a showboater and a grandstander, 
is the highest of all possible personal compliments, equivalent to Roger Federer shouting, that, my friend, is an elegant backhand at you whilst you're playing tennis. And if it is not a compliment, then being accused of being a showboater and a grandstander by Trump is like being slammed by Hannibal Lecter for eating unethically sourced meat. Or it's like Lucy, the Australopithecus afarensis hominin skeleton dated to 3.2 million years ago, giving you stick for being more than averagely dead. Or it's like being taken to task by Mount Vesuvius for having buried too many Roman towns in 79 AD. What is the world coming to, Adivab? Trump has denied that he intimidated Comey. Uh, Someone suggested this, that he intimidated Comey. He issued a statement stating that the horse's head on Mr Comey's pillow was, quote, a traditional American cure for sleep apnea. (laughs) Apparently, Mr Trump said, the fumes from the putrefacting nag-noggin open the airwaves, quote, just as effectively as old-school smelling salts or a set of medical forceps plonked up your conker. The president added that a horse head on the pillow is as effective at helping people spring out of bed in the morning as an octuple espresso. You don't need to be Marlon Brando or a rocket scientist, said Mr Trump, to know that when someone wakes up next to a severed horsey bonds, they tend to sit up rather abruptly and get on with their day. I think that what what you're looking at here is a case of professional rivalry, right? Now, a person who has a bedroom made of gold with gold-plated mirrors under which he sleeps. Now, when he calls a man, uh, you know, a grandstander, I want to now see James Comey's bedroom. (laughs) I really want to know what's going on there for this architectural rivalry to be going on. I want to know, is there a diamond-studded mannequin of... Andrew Jackson that also lights up in neon. I, I just, I'll, I'll give a local example. You know, a lot of people who come to the Taj Mahal in India look at it and they say it's beautiful, it's lovely, there's nothing like it. But some also say it's a bit much. It's a bit much. If you had a residence like that, it would be slightly over the top. Not much, slightly. The President of the United States is the sort of man who said, it's too subtle. So he decided to build one in New Jersey, but make it even more louder and made of gold and jewels. And if the Mughal Empire was alive and around, they would look at that and think, yes, yes, this this is what we were really thinking. It took 400 years for it to get built and they finally realised our vision. But we had the screenplay, he made the film. But the the Taj Mahal was essentially that was a, a token of love, and it was basically an elaborate bunch of flowers from a guy to his uh, to his current squeeze. That is correct, Andy. And I feel like I don't know which of Mr. Trump's marriages he was in at the time, but he could have <laughs> built it for the same purpose. <laughs> I think we all know that if Donald Trump builds a Taj Mahal, there is only one person in the relationship that that is addressed to, and that is Donald Trump himself. <laughs> Of course, I mean, it's very hard to know the truth of this story. It may be that it doesn't really come out for for decades and decades. But I find it hard to believe Trump. He's not so much the boy who cried wolf as the 70-year-old half-boy, half who screamed, hey, everyone, there's a huge armada of wolves coming whilst renting a load of drama students to dress up as wolves and bark. I think you just described Fox News. (laughs) It is not easy to take a man at his word whose name looks like someone hastily tried to change the words don't trust and only got halfway through it before they were caught red-handed. A man whose every utterance sets off even a sympathetically calibrated bullshit alarm. 
British election news now, and it is under a month until we Brits skip to our polling stations to weep our salt X's into the little boxes on our ballot papers. I mean, this is not the most eagerly anticipated election in British history, Anuvab. As the Bugle's British election correspondent in India, how uh, how is the British election flying in the uh, in the in the Asian continent? There's something going on in your elections, Andy, that I don't understand. I've seen some YouTube clips that there seems to be something going on this year where. Uh, your Prime Minister, Theresa May, and various other people, including ex-Prime Minister David Cameron, are walking into the streets. They're, they're going house by house and talking to the public. They're speaking to members of the public, and there are YouTube clips of people saying, no, thank you very much, we don't want to speak to you. There are people just harassing some of your leaders, saying, you're shit and you're rubbish, and so on. Um, and this is, I think, one of the concerns in a democracy when you go out and meet members of the public. I think one of yours, Winston Churchill, had said, the biggest argument against democracy is a two-minute conversation <laughs> with the average voter. And I think there's something that they can learn from India, which is that uh, when they are, when when Indian leaders pass voters, they do it in a bulletproof jeep, <laughs> and oftentimes, you know, they only throw used plastic bottles of mineral water at waving adoring fans. They have realized that that once you get elected, you are allowed in a democracy to be elevated to the level of monarchy. But this is clearly a message <laughs> that is not going through because there's there's some tendency among your leaders to want to figure out what the people want. What insanity is that? Well, I, to be honest, it's not wanting to figure out what the people want. It's wanting to be seen, appearing to give a shit about what people want. And as you say, they've been knocking on doors and there seem to be an awful lot of voters who have basically just been hiding behind their sofas <laughs> to avoid having to come face-to-face with an actual politician. Um, the, uh, but the way the polls are going, it does look like it's going to be a massive victory for Theresa May. She could spend the next 26 days just standing outside 10 Downing Street, eyeballing straight down the camera, whilst biting the heads off puppies and feeding their bodies into a giant smoothie maker, squeezing rat's milk into it directly out of a rat's rat wap, then whizzing it all up and pouring the resultant dog rat shake over her head, and do that over and over and over again for 26 days, and she would probably still win with a stonking majority. Because I think, fundamentally... Britain has made its mind up about Jeremy Corbyn. Uh, To a large extent, Britain has had its mind made up for it by a media that has not really warmed to Corbyn over the years and has sounded the full Lenin alert whenever he's opened his mouth. We will have more on this next week with with Nish Kumar, our British-based British election correspondent. Uh, Corbyn had his uh, manifesto leaked this week, um, a manifesto that had such terrifying ideas as renationalising the railways and building houses in, which apparently is communism gone mad and is going to drag Britain back to somewhere around about the year 1340 or something. Uh, But it was interesting that uh, just when you put leaked manifesto, uh, Corbyn leaked manifesto into Google, the the top stories it comes up with, (laughs) and it shows how the media report things rather differently. From the independent newspaper on the left, or certainly more to the left of the spectrum, British voters overwhelmingly back Labour's manifesto policies, poll finds, and the Telegraph, unashamedly on the right, Labour MPs reject Corbyn's manifesto. So um, these are tough times to be a democracy fan generally in the world. And I think the next four weeks in Britain are going to be uh, are going to be hard to stomach, to be honest. But we will report them in full here on The Bugle, the exclusive podcast of democratic record for the planet Earth. <laughs> I did just uh, one question that I had, a very quick question about Jeremy Corbyn, because uh, 
It's uh, not much is known about him in other parts of the world, which is why today's Times of India, which carries a very large story about your upcoming election, had photographs of the two people and it said Theresa May, Prime Minister of Britain, and had a photograph of James Corbyn and it just said person. <laughs> is it safe to say that the words dashing, the words sexy, the words dynamic, the words Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau aren't <laughs> often associated with James Corbyn? Is that a fair analysis? Well, Sitting here, just between hemispheres, I'm not sure. Yes. Well, I think you've been calling him... Were you calling him James? He's... he's uh... I mean, that just shows. I mean, actually, that might spice him up a bit, you know, calling him James, give him a slight Bond feel. Uh, yes, I think when India could well learn about Jeremy Corbyn over the next uh, three or four weeks. They will then be able to instantly forget him because it does look like he is heading towards electoral Armageddon. In other democracy news, France uh, last weekend elected Emmanuel Macron, the uh, 3D printer of a political void, as discussed on The Bugle last week, ahead of uh, Marine Le Pen, um, who is a harrowing look back into Europe's past. And uh, we now have a selection of uh, media reactions from the rest of the world. Phew. Oh, God, thank God for that. Phew. Huh. Oh, that is a bullet dodged for now. There you go. So that's pretty much how the world responded to Macron's uh, Macron's election. Who knows how it will pan out, but thank f it hasn't panned out how it might have panned out for now. Indian news now, and Anuvab, as always, as always when you are on this program, there are some truly unbelievable stories emanating from India, as there are on basically a daily basis. This is correct. And I, I think the specific thing you're referring to is that this last week in India, we have found a mad judge. <laughs> now, that may sound like that's that's a, a term for something, a movie or some sort of euphemism for something. It isn't. It's just as it reads, we have in India now a proper mad judge. Um, <laughs> one of our justices of the high court, this has never happened in Indian history, one of the justices of the High Court decided that he was going to pass some judgments against judgments passed on him. Um, he was a, he was a judge about to retire from the High Court, which is, as the name suggests, one of our higher courts, and the Supreme Court in India, which is the only court higher than that, passed a judgment telling this judge basically <laughs> basically uh, not to say crazy things. Um, and in the history of Supreme Court judgment, this is the first judgment that reads. Please convince Justice Kanan not to say completely crazy things or we <laughs> need to pass a judgment that says he has to have his head examined. <laughs> now, this is, the, this is where I properly value a democracy. You know, you, you have systems of government, you have the executive, you have a judiciary. But sometimes we've known that the executive is mad, you know, as we can see by presidents in America, various other places. Now, this is the first time that you realize that the checks and balances thing, the judiciary can also be mad, proper mad. So the judge, in response to being told that he needs to have his head examined by the Chief Justice of India, decided not to leave his house. And from his home, which he declared his own court, his home court, <laughs> he passed a judgment sentencing a bunch of junior judges to death <laughs> and sentencing the Chief Justice of India and a bunch of other judges to five years of rigorous imprisonment. <laughs> from his home court, Andy, from his house, that then turned into a court. 
At which point the Chief Justice of India, in sensible Latin, you know, because which is the, the language widely understood in India, um, <laughs> declared in Latin that this man was mad and he should be promptly arrested. After which, when the police arrived, this man went into hiding. And from hiding, today, Andy, I report this, his lawyer, while the judges in hiding, gave a press conference saying, we would like to reply to the fact that this judge has been declared mad. His lawyer has filed an apology in the Supreme Court of India, but it could not be filed in time because the registrar with whom you file apologies had left for the day. <laughs> I mean... India is the nation that, as a fan of crazy news, crazy politics and crazy court rulings, just it never stops giving, Anubab. It does not, Andy. It does not. In fact, just to add, the only thing we have a billion of, apart from people, are court cases pending in Indian courts. <laughs> we have a near billion cases pending in our courts. So, so it just matches. Birth to court case is about a fair match. <laughs> well, there was a, another case that uh, you alerted me to, which relates to a property dispute between a landlord and a tenant that has now gone on for 20 years. And the, uh, the Himachal Pradesh High Court issued a judgment that was so confusingly worded that uh, the country's Supreme Court just, just issued this statement saying, one cannot understand this. Which, to be fair, it might just have been referring to India as a whole, which is a nation of utter incomprehensibility in, uh, in, in almost every single way. But this, uh, this course judgment had some truly spectacular language in it. If I may quote from, uh, from some of this, this ruling, as, as I said, a 20-year case between a landlord and a tenant. Um, Included the phrases, wherewithin the apposite unfoldments qua his resistance to the execution of the decree stood discountenanced by the learned executing court. However, the learned counsel cannot derive the fullest succour from the aforesaid acquiescence, given its sinew-suffering partial dissipation from an imminent display occurring in the impunged pronouncement hereat wherewithin unravelments are held qua the rendition recorded by the learned rent controller. I mean, that... That is... Language. I think it's like sport, Anuvab. We in Britain, we invented many sports. We gave them around the world and other countries, took them, expanded them, played them far more creatively than we could ever do. And this has now happened with the English language in India. You are doing things with it that, fr frankly, we would not even dreamed of doing. But that, those words, to me, they sound like a passage from my forthcoming erotic novel. <laughs> He dreamed of being where within her apposite unfoldments. He quad his resistance to this execution. His decree stood discountenanced, fully discountenanced, by her learned executing of his court. Her learned counsel derived the fullest succor from his aforesaid acquiescence. Evidently, not Jewish if he's aforesaid. His sinew suffered a partial dissipation from her oh-so-imminent display. He was occurring in her impunged pronouncement. Hereat, where within, unravelments. No, do, do you mind unravelling where without? I don't want to take any chances. Held qua. The rendition was recorded by the rent controller. What the f is the rent controller doing here? He said. <laughs> this is now getting into a real estate threesome, Andy. This erotic novel. It's, uh, 
a Victorian novel setting. But but the point you raise is very valid. You know, um, the, the, the words, you know, wherefore under, wherefore soever, here for under are used quite regularly in Indian courts. In Indian courts in a country where I'd say about 20% of the population speak English. In fact, the language is sometimes so convoluted that if you sentence a murderer to death, it takes him about 10 days to figure out he's actually been sentenced to death. <laughs> A recent uh, corruption trial in Tamil Nadu uh, passed a guilty verdict and lamented how uh, corruption has, quotes, an octopoid stranglehold on Indian life. (laughs) And that is an extremely impressive wrestling manoeuvre, if you can pull it off. Uh, The the verdict also said, the common day experiences indeed do introduce one with unfailing regularity the variegated cancerous concoctions of corruption with fearless impunity gnawing into the frame and fabric of this nation's essentia. Wow. Wow, India. Congratulations. Uh, Your emails now, and, uh, well, I got an email from uh, Jeremy Corbyn, the leader of the Labour Party, uh, which is a circular email, I assume, from the Labour Party, but to whoever signed the Bugle Podcast email up, to receive emails from the Labour Party and signed us up under the name of Dickwads, congratulations. Because, I mean, it is undeniably funny to receive an email in your inbox from Jeremy Corbyn saying, Dickwads, strong leadership is standing up for the many, not the few. (laughs) You know, if he just started referring to the public as Dickwads, I think in some ways people would respect him a little bit more. Question one, the big one, Dickwads, will you be voting on the 8th of June? (laughs) Let's stand up for a fair bit. Yeah, certainly, certainly. On behalf of all Dickwads, Jeremy, yes, let's stand up for a fair bit. And this comes in from the wilds of Alaska from a Mr. Rich Stromberg. Um, I was disappointed to hear Andy's weak-ass pun run of Australian capitals. (laughs) Is he feeling well? F*** you, Rich. F*** you, Mr. Rich Stromberg of Alaska. At least I can walk outside my house in the winter without dying within a second. It did, however, remind me of my third-grade teacher, he continues, Miss Matic. She was from Australia. I remember her showing us coins from Australia and from all the countries in the world where she'd travelled on her way to the US. In fact, all the students knew Miss Matic as the coin lady. She was such an inspiring teacher that when she died, all her past students formed an organisation in her remembrance called the American New Mismatic Society. <laughs> and that is a joke for coin collectors the world over. Uh, Well, that brings us towards the end of uh, this week's Bugle. You might have heard uh, some rumours that the Glastonbury Festival still has a, quote, a big secret to announce in its lineup. Well, I can confirm it is not me. But on the (laughs) flip side to that, uh, uh, attention London. I am doing shows in London imminently. Do you like my comedy? If yes, proceed to the next sentence. If no... What are you doing at this end of the podcast? Uh, if you want to see me perform live, then get out your jetpacks and fly your sorry asses to one or more of the following shows. The 18th of May at the Underbelly on the South Bank. I'm doing Satirist for Hire. Send in your request to satirise this at satiristforhire.com. 25th, 29th of May and the 3rd of June, I'm doing Political Animal with guests at the Soho Theatre. 30th of May is the Bugle Live. 
at Soho uh, with Nish Kumar um, and the live bugle at the Underbellies on the 23rd of July and another Saturday's Fire on the 20th of June. All my other non-London tour dates are also available at andyzaltzman.co.uk. I will see you all at all of those gigs. Anuvab, have you got any shows you'd like to alert people to? Yeah, um, there are a couple of interesting things. The Amazon uh, Prime Video Special will finally be available in the UK, but I can happily announce that I do not know when, still. <laughs> <laughs> but but I will the next time we speak, Andy. So I, I like being specific to the listeners, so that's why I wanted to mention this. Incompetent and vague. It's what this show is built on. <laughs> Thank you, Andy. Thank you. Um, here within... And hereafter, I would like to accept that as a compliment. <laughs> and I'd like, also like to mention that there are some shows planned for the UK, specifically London. Um, they're saying maybe September. Again, I have no specific dates as of yet, but, but I will at some point. Watch this audio space. Uh, thank you for listening, Buglers. Uh, until next week, when uh, I will be joined by Mr Nish Kumar. Goodbye. Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here. Did you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth Travel Hacker, out now? It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss line bikes, Teslas, the London Overground, and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or engines of some variety. God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you, you, you must be so excited. Listen now.